together, a concrete theory that balances out the concept of God's sovereignty, his foreknowledge in those things with, 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 with the reality, the stark reality that humans do have an obvious freedom to choose. You know, for, when, when given options, we make choices. You can't deny that. And here's Paul. He's in Jerusalem. And now he's arrested, just like Jesus, just like God through his spirit said that was going to happen. Um, and he's going before, he went before the, um, the Sanhedrin, and then this is when he was basically rescued by the Roman commander and then sent up to Caesarea. So he's been in Caesarea for a while now. Um, and when he went before the governor, Felix, the, 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 the leaders of the Sanhedrin brought these accusations, which just to let you guys know, they, they stop even pursuing these accusations and bring up whatever. It's just, it's, it's just nonsense. It's weird. It's like, it, it, it's a political palava. Felix and then you're, the king, um, 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 Herod um, Antipas is going to, the second is going to appear with his dodgy sister. It, it's, it's weird. It gets really, really weird, guys. But the thing is, it's politics. It's politics. Let the guy go. He's innocent. What's the accusations? And there is no real genuine accusations. These are the ones that we are left with from last week. And we'll look at it, but we'll see how quickly these are moved, dropped to move on to some other just random accusations. It's all about hatred. These people, these, the Sanhedrin, these leaders of, of the Jewish religion there in the Sanhedrin hate Paul. They hate Jesus. They hate the gospel. And they want Paul dead so that he won't preach the gospel anymore. That's the truth. They're not going to say it because it just seems so cheap. But that's the truth. So instead they make it very political. And it puts these, and the thing, these Roman leaders and governors and, and even the king, as we're going to see here, they're, they're stuck in a precarious situation because, you see, the emperor, you know, um, Caesar, the emperor, he doesn't want problems. And he certainly doesn't want problems in, um, in this area, in this region, because there's been a lot of it. And right now there's a time of peace. And for any governor to allow civil unrest to happen would jeopardize his life as well as his career. So they want to maintain peace. They don't want an uprising. So what do you do? You got Paul. You got a potential uprising. So, well, Felix just forgets about him, but we'll see that in a moment. That's a quick review. And you guys already know these. So, again, was he Paul string up riots or was he sharing the good news? We talked about this. Was he a ringleader or was he just a messenger? You know, did he disagree the temple or did he rightly acknowledge Neela's customs of the past? Now, when I wrote that statement, I thought it was funny. I didn't know how to write it. Because that's basically what he did. He, he just, he rightly acknowledged, because he did it the right way. These needless customs. But you guys see the, 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 the conflict in that statement. It's like asking a surgeon, did you rightly do the needless surgery? You see, it's like, is it right if it's needless? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of a conflict. But regardless, he did 
he did the customs. He did what he was supposed to do, you know. But of course, they just don't like Paul, and they want him dead. Next slide, please. So Felix, he's before Felix, which I called him, is he the soft skeptic? There's a part of this, when we look at Felix, it looks like he's interested. You guys, you know the term skeptic. You have the hard skeptic and you have a soft skeptic. A hard skeptic is just the hard news. He just wants to cause problems. He's not interested in a, in a, in a good conversation about Christ. They don't really want to know anything. They just want to fight. It looks like Felix isn't that way. It looks like he's a bit soft. A soft skeptic is a person who has genuine questions. A genuine seeker. Of truth, okay? That to me seems like Felix initially. He's an interesting fellow this way. And so, I, you, you, so it begs the question is he a would be convert? Is he want to know Jesus? But maybe some, for some way, some reason, he's, he's reluctant to, to go the full nine yard. You know, that whole like denying oneself, that whole like death of self, especially when you're a governor, you know, and you like the, your, your, your lifestyle. It's kind of hard to say no and to die to your lifestyle. Or is he just an interesting fella? I think he's interesting. You guys choose. You guys decide. So in verse 22 of Acts 24, then Felix, the new governor, okay, who was well acquainted with the way. Interesting. He's acquainted with the way. He kind of knew something about the way. No, he's not the new governor. This is the old governor still. I'm sorry. I apologize. This is the guy who they brought him to in Caesarea. Okay. Felix. So he was familiar with this, this Jesus way, you know, the, 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 the birth of, this, of the church. And he adjourned the proceedings. When um, Lycia, the commander, comes, this is the commander who, who arrested him and brought him up to Caesarea to deliver him from the assassination plot down in Jerusalem. He said, I, dec- I, I will decide your case. So he says, Felix decided to take it on. And here's the funny thing. When you, when, when you see a comment like this, I will decide your case, you think that they're going to come to some kind of conclusion. Right, but Felix, kind of a coward, he decides you know to 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 leave it to the next guy, and we'll see the next guy in, in just a few verses. So he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give some uh, to give him some freedom, and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So he was kind of like on house arrest, if you will, and, you know, a leisurely free arrest. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, um, Drusilia, it's a funny name, um, who was Jewish. She sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. So Felix has his wife, and this seems like quite a common thing, as we see this a couple of times, actually, married to Jewish women. Um, and so maybe there was like some kind of re- religious cultural significance. And maybe Felix was pondering, wait, you're, you're Jewish. What's up with this Paul guy? What's this Jesus guy? And she's like, I don't know. Let's go find out. And that's a good question to ask. That's why I say it's good to be a skeptic. It's good to have questions, to be a seeker of knowledge and speaker of Jesus. So they want to know something about Jesus Christ. So they went to go talk to Paul to learn about Jesus. In their mind, it's a sect of, Jew- of the Jewish religion. Okay. So they want to listen to him as he speaks. And as Paul talked in verse 22 about, or 25 rather, about righteousness. And here's, I think, the problem, guys. When we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about the way of Christ. You you deal with these issues. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. These are not pleasant things for people to deal with. Especially if you're on the wrong side of the fence, if you will. 
Righteousness. This is the doctrine concerning the way in which a man may attain a state of approval or a state that's approved of God. Righteousness is about being against God in one state, but now through Jesus Christ, we're redeemed. We're recovered. We're in a place where we're in the right standing with God. And you guys can see when you're, ta- you're going to talk about these things, you're going to talk about lifestyle. You're going to talk about virtue, integrity. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, what is it that makes us wrong with God? Well, morality, the way we live. Oh, wait a second. So I have to change the way I live? Well, Jesus Christ makes it possible. He gives us a way. And again, when we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness. I mean, the word righteousness has the word right in it, which is you know, the opposite of wrong. Correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting is a big part of how you think, how you feel, and how you act. So righteousness, but also self-control. And by the way, this daikasune, it's a big part of Christ's teaching. Big part of what Christ came to do. So righteousness isn't just a, a token little conversation piece that Christians might have with another person. This is the underlying big part of what Jesus was all about and what Jesus taught. He taught about the righteousness of the Pharisees and how they got it all wrong. How they're hypocrites. And he talked about the fruit, the action of disciples. How it's like light or salt. And if it's of no value, then it's of no value. It's like salt to be trampled upon. That has no flavor, no value. It's depleted. So big part of righteousness, virtue, integrity, it's a big part of what Jesus taught. So it's a big part of what Jesus' disciples are thinking about and talking about and interested in and learning about. And that's us guys, if we are disciples of Christ. For Christians, that's what Christian means, right? A follower of Christ. So it's a big issue. And when we sit and talk about it amongst ourselves and amongst other people, it, it can cause conflict, okay? It can cause disagreement. And I think that's what's going on here. They're sitting there, you know, and they're wanting to learn about this, this sect of Judaism. But then they start talking about Jesus and so the issues of righteousness. And, and consequently, the next little bit, self-control, generally follows. When I'm talking about rightness as contrasted to wrongness, and how we can be right before God through Jesus Christ, then we have to look at the issues of self-control, which is a virtue in itself. It's a virtue of one who masters his desires. Mastering one's desires. Getting yourself under control, man. Passions. Especially sensual appetites. And, you know, Greeks were big on philosophy and virtues and stuff like that. Romans are known for a lot, for a different thing. Romans were the, they're known for their gluttonous behaviors, for their exploration of the senses, the explorations of sensuality and sexuality. So this is a challenge. And for a Roman governor, whoa. you know it's like, wait, don't you know that we're liberal about these things? You can't talk to me about self-control. Romans, we are, we're out there. We're lavish. We're going to parade in the streets. That's what we're like. So this is, you can see, this is something that, that, that Felix isn't going to be interested in. Because it's, it's going to conflict with his lifestyle. And of course, the judgment to come, which is just putting the nail in the coffin. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. It's one thing to tell me that there's a thing called righteousness contrasted with wrongness. Now you're telling me then that I have to get myself under control? 
then you're telling me if I don't get myself in control, there's a judgment to come? In, in the judgment to come, in the word judgment is simply put, condemnation of wrong. Again, it comes full circle. Rightness versus wrongness. Get yourself under control. And if you don't, there's a condemnation for wrongness. Felix was afraid. And that's what happens a lot of times when people hear Jesus Christ. When you hear, when you hear anything about truth, if the truth goes against the security and safety of your delusional life, it can be very frightful. And the problem is with Felix, he had a delusionary life. And when you heard the truth, it made him very scared. He was afraid. And this fear could be a good thing when responded. Think again about John the Baptist's baptism. Okay, it goes way back to the basics, guys. When he came and he baptized, and he started before Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus. What did he say? Prepare the way. And what was his baptism about? The baptism of repentance. What does repentance mean? To change your ways. They're wrong. They're erroneous. And this is good news. Okay, it's not bad news. This is good news. We can change. God's Spirit helps us. Jesus Christ helps us. He gives us the way to change. He gives us the way to God. There's hope with Christ. So rather than just being afraid and running away, putting your head in the ground like many people do, what the right thing to do is to be afraid and respond positively. You guys see that difference? There's two different ways to respond. You can respond like Felix is going to do here and run and hide and pretend like the problem doesn't exist or you can deal with the problem head on and seek repentance, change, forgiveness of sins. And that's the funny thing about Christianity. It's not hard. You just turn to Christ and ask for forgiveness with some humility. And he helps you out. (laughs) That's what he's there for. It's not about works of righteousness it's about turning to God through Jesus, you know, turning to Jesus Christ, turning to God in faith and trust and hope. So he said, that's enough instead for now. You may leave when I find it convenient. Oh, that word convenient. How many times have you been told by someone, I don't have time for this stuff? And that's what that means. When I find time, I have time for this Jesus business. I don't want to talk to you about this Jesus stuff. I don't, ah. Later, maybe, and then later never comes. That's exactly what happened here. When, I, when the time's convenient, when I'm ready for this, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. Also checking, checking Paul's integrity. You know, so, so to, to keep on testing him, integrity checking. It kept bringing him back frequently to talk to him, hoping that he would offer him a bribe. To make it easy. Next slide. But instead, he's forgotten. And that's sight out of mind. In verse 27, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by, by, by Porcius Festus. Here's the second guy, Festus, the second governor. But because Felix wanted to grant favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So he, Felix was conflicted with politics. I don't want uprising. I want favor of the Jews. I don't want problems. So what I'll do is instead of doing the right thing, he was confronted with Christ. He was confronted with God, and he was also confronted with rightness. 
Are you Felix going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? But instead, he did the wrong thing. He avoided the situation. He put his head straight in the ground, ignored the problem, ignored his own state before God. And he also didn't do what was right by Paul. He left him in prison, forgotten for a long time. Tears have passed. Wow. Then the next chapter, verse 21 of chapter 25, three days after arriving in the providence, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented their charge against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transfer Jerusalem. So again, they're bringing up the case. Oh yeah, that Paul guy, bring him down here to Jerusalem so we can kill him. For they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. And remember what Paul was told. Remember what Jesus said to Paul in Acts 23, 11. The Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Okay, so Paul is going to be okay. He's going to be safe. He's not going to be killed in Jerusalem. But he needs to remember these things. He will be in Rome eventually. So Festus answered, Paul is being held in Caesarea. And I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me. And if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charge against him there. So the new governor, I'm going to go to Caesarea. I'll deal with Paul when I get there. You have a problem. You have an accusation. Meet me there and we'll talk about it. We'll do a proper trial. That's what Festus wants to do. So in verse 6, after spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. So again, spending plenty of time there talking to them about their problems. But what did Paul do wrong? What's his genuine? What's the real accusations? And, and frankly, as we will see here as this unfolds, they don't get down to the bottom of it. Spending eight, I mean, I would have been mental. I can't imagine spending a week with these guys. Okay, what's the problem, guys? It's like, it's like spending time with teenagers. Okay, get, let's get down to it. What's the problem? What about that? What about that? I, I need to know, what did the guy do wrong? Imagine spending all that time. I couldn't spend eight hours with these guys. Come on, you need to tell me, what's the accusations? So when Paul came in, okay, so now they're in Caesarea, okay. Eight days or ten days with them, festered on Caesarea. The next day he convened the court in order that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. So some guys did come with them from Jerusalem, from the Sanhedrin, these leaders, to, to bring accusations so then they brought many serious charges against him. But look, they can't prove a darn thing. Next slide. I don't like Paul. He, he killed people. Did he? Who'd he kill? I don't know. I mean, how do you deal with this? How the governor deal with this? I don't know. Well, again, it's political. I mean, the guys, I, mean, I think these guys have an, enough sense to know that these guys were just taking him for a ride. You know what I'm saying? But the problem is it's political. What do I do? How do I, how do I dismiss this in a way that's not going to cause big problems? So in verse 8, then Paul made his defense. He's got a chance to say his defense yet again. And this time, Paul's probably fed up. He's like, I'm getting nothing done in Caesarea. I need to get to Rome. And there's only one way to get to Rome. As a citizen, he has the right to appeal to Caesar. Which means he has the right to, to actually stand before Caesar himself. For his verdict. And it's dangerous. Because Caesar could just say, ah, you're done. I can't be bothered with you, you're dead. 
And once that's decreed, there's no arguing. He's the ultimate authority in Rome, as far as Rome's concerned. So it's a very risky thing for Paul to do this. But as we see, he has no other choice. Or he's going to be locked up in Caesarea for maybe another couple of years. And we know Paul, he wants to get out there. He wants to share the gospel with people. It's not enough to be locked up. So Paul made his defense, and he says, I have none, I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law, or against the temple, or against Caesar. Again, going back to the original claims. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, and you yourself know very well. Okay, Festus spent a lot of time with Sanhedrin. He had a chance to hear their accusations, their cases against Paul, and, and, and it, nothing came of it. And Paul knew it. He goes, I know this is a joke. You know this is a joke. What are we going to do about it? And you know, Festus is like, do you want to go back to Jerusalem? No, I don't. There's no point. You need a man up and make a decision. But unfortunately, I could see Paul was looking at Festus, thinking about seeing that political, you know, you know what I'm saying, the clogs going in his head. Uh, just like he had to deal with a Felix. And so Paul had to make a bold move. And here we see it in verse 11. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving of death, I do not refuse to die. But the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true. No one has the right to hand me over to them. You don't have a right. And I can see it. You're starting to cower. So he does this next thing, which is very brave. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus has conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. And I'm sure deep down in Festus' heart, he was probably very happy about this. Good. Passing the buck. I don't have to deal with you no more. Let Caesar deal with you. And boy, may God be with you. Because you could die. Next slide. We got this next clown, King Agrippa. A few days later, King Agrippa and um, Bernice. Now, I looked up this relationship because it was kind of confusing to me. They are brother and sister. And they're also a couple. They're Romans. This is the Roman go governors. And they're the Caesars, the... Especially the, um, <laughs> especially the, um, what do they call it? Um, yeah. <laughs> they were known for these things. They like to keep it pure, let's just say that. But it's very unpure, morally speaking, as we well know. But anyways, King Agrippa and his sister friend, Bernice, arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to uh, Festus. So they're traveling about, and, and they're outlandish. In fact, this particular this is King Agrippa II, um, the great-grandson of the, the great, um, Herod the Great, okay? And, and he was known, he, he was quite young when he became a king, and uh, they gave him a little section of land to rule over, and, and he did lots of really fanciful things with it. And so he's a very outlandish fellow. You know, pompous, loved himself, thought he was great. So in verse 14, since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king again. Dude, you got to get this. This is a crazy situation. What do you think? What, what should we do about this? And he said to them, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. 
When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they've faced their accusers and have an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. Well, that seems black and white, doesn't it? If their, char- if their accusers don't show up, then let them go, right? Well, when they came here with me, I did not delay in the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I expected. Then let him go, right? That's, I would, that seems common sense to me. If that's the laws, if that's how it goes. But instead, they had some points of dispute about uh, their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. Interesting. Well, if, it's a squall, if, if they're squabbling about the religion, then let them, that has nothing to do with this civil court. Let the man go. And if the man doesn't want to go to Jerusalem, who cares? But you guys know, it's a lot more political than that. They don't want a Jewish uprising in Jerusalem, in Judea. So it's not as simple as just letting them go. It's not a clear-cut black-and-white case. Verse 20. I was at a loss at how to investigate such a matters. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, you know, appealing to Caesar, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. So Paul's on his way to Rome. He is going to go to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man. Again, he's a very interesting, outlandish man. Ooh, neat. I want to hear him. Bring him out. And then <laughs> Festus says, yeah, tomorrow you'll hear him. Next slide. Verse 23, the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. And when I think of great pomp with high-ranking military officers, ooh, we're with the king, the King Agrippa and, and his sister friend, and the prominent men, you know, the, 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 the elders of the town, the, the, the big business people, and the, you know, the, 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 the great ones, the ones people like to talk about, and ooh, the celebrities. I can't help but think about Isaiah 13, 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. You see, the world has a different standard than God. You know, the world thinks celebrities are great, but God thinks wicked is wickedness and evil is evil. You know what I'm saying? So let's be careful who we look up, you know, to. You know, it's, you, know, you know, let's be careful who we celebrate. That's what celebrity means, just celebrated ones. Because here, you know, Paul's the same before these guys, and I hope he sees it through God's heart. Like, listen, sinners, they need the, they need the gospel. There's no point to be shy before these people and to, you know, and to be intimidated by their celebrity status. These celebrities, this king, needs Jesus. There's wickedness. And by the way, who are you with? Is that your sister or your girlfriend? You know what I'm saying? There's wickedness. There's iniquity going on here. So at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, verse 24, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man? The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. 
I found he had done nothing deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty. So here's this new problem. When, 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 when um, the Caesar gets Paul, he's going to want him to be accompanied by an official letter. Right? A case. What's the case? What's the situation? And now he's like, okay, now I'm passing the buck to Caesar. But what do I say in my report? Ah, he's innocent. Okay, what is Caesar going to do? If he's innocent, why are you sending him to me? So now he's like, oh, what do I do? So what do I write about him? What do I put in my report? Therefore, I've brought him before all of you to help me to figure out what to say. And especially for you, King Grip, because you're so wise. You're a king. Maybe he's, again, looking for some help. If I put your name on this report as well, that you agreed with me, then if I get in trouble, you'll get in trouble too. So as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner onto Rome without specifying the charge against him. Yeah, you're right. It is unreasonable. Let him go. Next slide. But he's not going to. And we're going to continue that next chapter. How good is it to be Paul? Have you guys thought about that while, this, while we're going through Acts? This last, this last chapter and a half? And you guys think to yourself, wow, I wish I was Paul right now. How lucky is Paul? You know, I mean, he has to go through all this stress and anxiety, have his freedom taken away from him. Isn't he lucky? Look at that, hanging out with a rat in prison. Isn't he lucky? Okay, no, he's not lucky, okay? Because Christians, we really don't believe much in luck anyways. But God's got bigger plans and a bigger picture. God sees the big picture. Again, the whole mystery between God's sovereignty and human free will. See, what's interesting about that picture is what does he have beside him? His manuscripts. If it wasn't for Paul being stopped, <laughs> you know, because he was a very active fella, he needed to be stopped to do some writing. And if he didn't do that writing, we wouldn't have a huge portion of our New Testament scriptures in our Bibles to read, to be encouraged by, to grow by. So, yeah, it's not great for Paul to be locked up in prison. But it's great for us that he was stopped for a little while to write. And he didn't write probably at, up to this point. He probably didn't do much writing until he appeared in Rome when he was in house arrest, when he realized he's not going to go anywhere. And he had it to complete his mission. But his mission wasn't by foot. His mission at that point was by pen. And it's a lot more lasting because the pens are, his writings preserved up until today even. But when I think about this, and I'm going to conclude with this, guys, Matthew 5. How serious do we take this? This is all about God's kingdom. When Jesus showed up, you know, he showed up to talk about righteousness, repentance, his Holy Spirit, the power of God with men. And in the first words out of Jesus' mouth are these words right here. This is the first thing Jesus ever said. Well, in a sermon, you know, he, he probably said other things. I don't think he was a mute or anything. You know, he didn't like, all of a sudden he started speaking. No, he said other things, but this is his first like documented sermon, okay? And this is what Jesus said in verse, well, I'm starting verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Okay, what does that mean? What's blessed? How in the world is Paul blessed? I don't feel blessed for Paul, but this is what Jesus said. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Paul's the kingdom of God. This is all part of God's plan, God's will. This is good for Paul. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Yeah, you lose something. We've lost Paul. People are losing Paul's fellowship. But they're going to be blessed. Why? Because God's doing something else that we don't see, that we don't know. Blessed are the meek. Yes, those who are being wrongly, you know, you know, meek. Meek's power under control. You know, Paul could be shouting his great eloquent arguments and his wisdom, and, and, but he's being meek. He's being calm. He's letting God deal with the situation. For they will become, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm sure Paul's very hungry for righteousness at this point. For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's exactly what's going on with Paul. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. So Paul, you're in good company. Be blessed. And I'm sure Paul, you know, he may or may not have been there when Jesus preached that. I don't know. Because at this point he was heavily in the studies with the Pharisees when Jesus preached this. But he's probably familiar with it. Probably very familiar with it. Paul was very astounded. So in his times of studies, you know, I'm sure he, he came across these <laughs> writings or these, you know, Jesus' words. And I'm sure he was thinking about it a whole lot 